Ephesians chapter 3. Someone said years ago, if you want to know how bad sin is, look at the cross. But if you want to know how much God loves you, look at the cross. It's amazing how a single uh, instrument, if you would, intended to be uh, one of the most torturous tools of execution that man could ever devise has now turned into a wonderful sign of the triumph of God's power and love. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14. Just a little background. Chapter number 1 of the book of Ephesians is uh, the Apostle Paul cataloging uh, this amazing list of all that is ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, These spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with in heavenly places and all that is ours being adopted into the family of God. Uh, But then in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul's approach is interesting, and that is it's almost as if after he's given in chapter 1, this is what God has made available for you. This is what you are in Christ. This is what you have. Chapter 2, the focus almost becomes this, but I want you to understand that he didn't give it to you because you deserved it. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You walked according to the course of this world. You were under the power of the prince of the air. Okay, the the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And what does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? It's by grace that you're saved. Okay. And then in chapter number 3, chapter number 3, the focus then turns to uh, this wonderful blessing of not only that individual believers have, but the blessing of the church. This thing, this institution that had been a mystery in time past, but now is made known through the work of Christ. And the fact that now Jew and Gentile, we all get to be in the church, and it's through the church that others can see, whether it's angelic powers or the world around us. Paul talks about that, verse number 9, chapter 3. One of the goals of the church is he would preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, was to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. We could say this, the fellowship of the church. So that people see the church and they're overwhelmed by what God's plan is in saving people and making them known as His. Okay. And in verse number 10, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The point Paul's making there is that God even uses the church the New Testament local church to display to angels what his plan is and his ability is in the life of people redeemed from their sin by the blood of Christ. Boy, have you ever thought about that before? That the Lord uses our church to teach angels things that they will never know personally about him. They don't know what it is to need redemption. And so God uses us in the church to teach angels. And I've shared with you about a business meeting I heard years ago in a local church where uh, things had gotten very tense in the business meeting and there were some people in the business meeting who were not acting spirit-filled. They weren't spirit-filled. They were not acting right. And the pastor just raised his hands with the moderator and he said, Folks, the angels are watching. The angels are watching. What are we teaching the angels? What are they learning as they watch? 
But then in verse number 14, so that's chapter 1, these marvelous blessings. Chapter 2, we didn't do anything to deserve it. It's by grace. Chapter 3, here's this wonderful mystery revealed the church. And then Paul is, of course, in chapters 4 through 6, going to begin to teach very practically how we're to implement all that we've been given by God's grace. But he prays this amazing prayer. Many commentators that I read, they consider this. Of all the recorded prayers of Paul, they consider Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 to be the apex of all Paul's recorded prayers. Verse number 14, for this cause... As you go back up to verse number one, for this cause, I, Paul, uh, several believe that Paul was going to start mentioning for this cause, he was going to tell him earlier why he was going to pray for him and what he was praying for him, but he got so excited about it that he said, I better just talk a little more about the church. Paul had that. That's one of the things I love about the inspiration of scripture is that the Lord didn't take robots and give us the Bible. He took men with their personality and I can almost see Paul at different times under inspiration writing and the truths just overwhelm his heart and his mind and he just maybe has to stop and put his pen down and weep and shout and praise God for a little bit. He maybe has to put his pen down and just weep tears of joy. And that's kind of what I envision happening in verse number 14 for this cause. What is the cause that he's talking about? God's plan, starting with chapter number one, all these spiritual blessings, the fact that it's by grace we've been given it, we didn't do anything to deserve it, and then this new institution that was a mystery in the Old Testament, now this church that's revealed and what God's plan is through that, to break down this middle wall of partition and to take Jew and Gentile and through the work of Christ's cross, remove the enmity and bring God's people together in peace and in harmony and unity for the sake of the gospel. Paul said, for this cause, because of what God's plan is, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, talking about creation, that he would grant you or give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, we'll not look at verse 20 and 21 tonight, but I'll go ahead and read them because it's his amen to the prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Really, Paul's prayer focuses on this. He turns his attention to the individual believers in the church, and if his vision and his understanding that he's written about in verses 1 down to verse number 13 is to be fully realized in the church corporately, then the prayer that he prays is essentially, Lord, if that's going to be accomplished corporately in the church, then it's going to take the strengthening of God and the inner man of the individual member. Does that make sense to you? Okay, And that's Paul's focus. If this is going to work corporately then here needs to be the focus of 
the individual believer. As I read verse 14 down to verse number 19, and I read about being strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man and Christ dwelling in my heart by faith and being rooted and grounded in love so that I can have the ability to better comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ. You know what my, my heart cries out? Every time I read that, my heart cries out, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my wife. I want that for my kids. I want that for all of us. That's what I want. Let's pray. Father, help us look in your word tonight to do so with eyes that are attuned to what the Spirit of God wants us to see and understand. Lord, as we consider this important subject of uh, the strong inner man for the, not only the sake of our individual spiritual health, but how we impact this uh, body of believers corporately. I pray that we would be helped. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever seen something that someone has had, and I'm not talking about jealousy or envy, but something that someone has had and you've said, I've got to have one of those. Maybe it's a tool. Uh, Maybe you're like me and you see some guy, he's got a tools for a specific job, and you're like, man, I think I need one of those. Okay, maybe, I, any of you guys ever said that before? I think I need to get one of those. Maybe it's a kitchen utensil for one of you ladies, or you really cr crave that. Maybe it's a particular food or going to, I need that. Uh, I heard about two young missionaries recently who both of them need, uh, have to this point needed eyeglasses, but before they went back to the mission field, I won't name any names, you know them, but before they went back to the mission field, they had surgeries done that uh, did basically like a LASIK operation on their eyes, so they don't need glasses anymore. When I heard about that, I thought, I think I'm going to look into that. Now that I'm into progressive lenses, and I go like this, and you're blurry, and I go like this, and you're clear, I'm thinking, man, something... that. That'd be nice to not have to worry about spots in my glasses and rain. Somebody coming in tonight, I got rain dripped on my glasses, and I'm sitting there thinking, somebody needs to invent windshield wipers for glasses, for crying out loud. Okay. Anyway, have you ever been to a, a situation or been at a point where you said, I just got to have that? You know, that's what our heart should be for what Paul prays for these individual believers. I got to have that. A strong inner man. When I read this text, that's exactly the thought I have. Now, before we look into uh, several thoughts from the message or in the message this evening, I just want to give you a frame of reference. Since Paul is praying this for believers, think with me about this. Since Paul is praying that God would do this for believers, the indication is that this is not default or automatic for someone just because they've been saved. Okay, is that, you see that, all right? This is not default, it's not automatic. Okay, Paul is praying for it, wanting that to be the case in believers' lives. It's not default that it already is. We could say this, rather it's a condition or a status that God has made provision for that the indication is the believer must accept and cooperate with God's desire. Does that make sense to you, okay? In other words, uh, because someone trusts Christ as Savior doesn't automatically mean they are strengthened with His might by His Spirit in the inner man. It doesn't automatically mean that Christ is 
at home, if you would, dwelling in their hearts. Now, this is not talking about salvation. Obviously, we understand the doctrine of Christ dwelling in us at the point of salvation, okay? But this is talking about something differently. And we'll explain that in more depth here in just a moment. But here's what I want us to get tonight. You and I can have a strong inner man. We can have a strong inner man. And I want us to get that this evening. I want that to be the craving of our heart. Now, I'm not talking about worldly ideas of self-help. We talked about gurus and life coaches this morning. I'm not talking about having the spirit of resolve and so on that's man-made, man-concocted. This is something God does to us by his spirit, through his son. This is a supernatural work, but you have to understand, I have to understand tonight that there are implied in this passage, there are actions and attitudes that I must take in order for this to be reality in my life. Okay? But praise God, you and I can have a strong inner man. Several thoughts that will help us understand how this can be true in our lives, and that is this. Number one, if you want to have a strong inner man, have Paul praying for you. You can laugh there, it's okay. All right. You're like, okay, pastor, not a good joke, good dad joke, right? Okay, have Paul praying for you, right? Let me tell you something. Aren't you glad the doctrine of the intercession of the Holy Spirit of God? In truth, though we can't actually have Paul, the apostle Paul, praying for us like the church at Ephesus did, you can have and do have the Holy Spirit of God from within you praying for you, making intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. Aren't you glad Romans 8 doesn't stop there? It's not just the Spirit of God, but the Bible also says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Okay. So you may not have Paul praying for you, but you got the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ praying for you, and that is far better. And Paul would say amen at that point too. Okay. But that being the case at a very practical level, if, if you're going to be strong in your inner man, I do believe there's a very practical lesson for us. And though we can't have Paul pray for us, you can have others pray for you. And I think it is a very appropriate application for us as to believers to interact with each other. We talked about this in the Sunday school hour in the lesson on discipleship, to have other believers interacting with you so that they, and listen, we talk about prayer requests for health. We talk about prayer requests for, for situations and circumstances. Let me tell you one of the best prayers you can ever have somebody pray for you is that you will be strengthened by his might in your inner man. And that Christ will be at home in your heart. Would you pray that for me? Pray that for me. Pray that for each other. Pray that together. Because in the end, this church as a whole will benefit. So ask others to pray for you to that end. Number two, you and I can be strong or have a strong inner man through this work of prayer at a very practical level, asking God to give that to us. And that's exactly what Paul does there. He says, I'm asking God to grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Uh, You and I can have a strong inner man, biblically speaking, If we're going to do it, our part is this. Number two, take a regular account of the source and the resources of that strength that is God's. 
take a regular account of the source and the resources that are at your disposal and uh, to supply and sustain that strength in your life. Now, just help me out here. Where am I given the details about the resources that are mine? Right here. Matter of fact, Paul just spent all of chapter 1 telling a bunch of lists of resources or a, lot, a whole catalog, if you would, an inventory of resources. But notice in this text, in the immediate text before us, as we think about resources and sources, the source of the Father's power and the resources that He has made available for us that are at our disposal to supply and to sustain this strength in our lives. The first and primary source is God the Father. Paul said, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This speaks of God's authority that he would grant you. So Paul is viewing the Father here by calling him the Father of the whole family in earth. He's talking about creation. And so what he's appealing to or looking at is he's identifying and trying to challenge us to take regular account of the source that is ours, the resources that are ours, to help us have this strength and live in this strength, is basically remember who your father is. Your father is the creator. And, and here's the point, okay? The one who spoke these worlds into existence. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light, is the one who is the source of this strength that Paul is speaking about here. But notice what else he speaks of. Not only the Father as creator and his creative power is omnipotence, the whole family in heaven and earth is named by him that he would grant you, notice this, according to, the word literally means down from or out of. It's talking about a withdrawal from a bank account, if you would. A, a deposit has been made. There's an account. There is a sor resources there, vast resources. And this idea of according to the riches of his glory is the idea of a draw being made on God's glory. It's according to the riches of his glory that we can be strengthened with his might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul in the book of Ephesians had a lot to say about riches. Let me show you. It's interesting to connect these things when you do a book study. Notice chapter 1 and verse number 7. In speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Look then, if you would, at chapter 1 and verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then chapter 2 and verse number 4. Chapter 2 and verse number 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Notice if you would chapter 2 and verse number 7. Chapter 2 and verse number 7 that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding, what? Riches of his grace. Chapter 3 and verse number 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can't find out the depths of the riches of Christ. And Paul, did you notice two different aspects of the riches of God here? The riches of his grace 
and the riches of glory. Paul refers to the riches of glory being a resource, if you would, a fund, a reservoir out of which we are strengthened. As we take regular account of the resources that God has made available, the riches of His glory. Uh, One commentator, actually several, when they flushed out, if you would, or defined what is being meant here by the riches of His glory. In this case, the glory of God, the Father, is being viewed as the sum total of all of His attributes and perfections. The sum total of all of His attributes and perfections. Get this, at your disposal and my disposal to strengthen us in our inner man. Whatever God is, whatever he has, that's available. Okay. And then Paul goes on to talk about the fact that this, the means, if you would, of the agency of this is by his spirit. We have the spirit of God living inside of us. But what, here's, here's where our responsibility comes in, is to take regular account of what we have. How often? Do I, do we, go through a day and we look at the storms all about us, the circumstances all about us, and we start looking to human help, human resources, a human out, and fail to discipline in our thinking that I am, by Christ, tapped into the infinity of God. And the strength that I need in my inner man comes directly from the reservoir of the glory of God. The sum total of all of his attributes, the sum total of his perfections, if you would. When theologians use the term perfections to refer to the attributes of God, they're doing so with the understanding that there's a sense in which some of God's attributes can be modeled or reflected in you and me as humans but in a limited way and with the touch of our fallen humanity tainting it. But when it comes to that attribute being manifested and demonstrated in God, it is perfect. There is no limitation to it. There is no taint to it. And so the importance of if I'm going to have a strong inner man, the importance of taking a regular account. How many of you have an app for your bank accounts on your phone? I do. Maybe you don't. I just got one mine put on there, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. It's amazing to me. And, and I will check it several times in a week to make sure that maybe somebody's unknowingly dropped a bunch of money in one of my accounts, you know? <laughs> okay. Or to find out that, you know, one of the accounts, the interest of, you know, anyway, it's just one of the accounts, I keep watching it go down, down, down. It's a a mutual fund. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe I should remove that one from the view, right? Okay. But I got an app. And, you know, I regularly, several times in a week, I'll click on that app. What am I doing? I'm taking account of the resources. You and I need to every day and multiple times in a day be taking account of the resources. 
Because listen, just the practice of that, just the practice of that will help to strengthen us by the might of the Spirit of God in our inner man. Because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He said, it's true. That's what the Father has in store for you. And He'll whisper it to your heart. And He'll say, this is what you have because of Jesus. But if I'm disconnected from this book, I'm taking the best tool that the Spirit of God has out of my hand in order to help me remember these things. Thirdly, I can have a strong, you can have a strong inner man through the work of prayer, the exercise of prayer, number two, by taking a regular account of the source, the resources that are at our disposal, and Paul speaks of this. But thirdly, I can have a strong inner man, as Paul is describing here, get this, by making my heart and my life a hospitable home for Jesus Christ. Paul, as he continues his prayer, says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I can have a strong inner man when I determine to make a hospitable home of my heart for the Lord Jesus Christ and for my life, my inner man, to be a hospitable house or dwelling place. The word that Paul uses here when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, it's not talking about taking up residence. That's what happened at salvation. It's a different word, different idea. The idea of this word dwell here when Paul says to believers that Christ may dwell in your hearts, again, it's something that's not automatically default true of a believer. Paul is wishing for this. He's praying for this, that Christ may dwell. The word literally means that Christ may be at home in your hearts by faith, that Christ may be comfortable in your heart by faith, that Christ may settle down and, can I say, enjoy his place. This is by faith that we do this. One of the ways that we can do this by faith is just making very practical illustrations. How many of you have ever stayed in a home where you did not feel at home? I traveled for two, three summers and seven or eight semesters when I was in Bible college with different singing groups all over the country in different parts of the country, the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, the South, the Midwest. And I, will t- I think, I, and I figured it up one time. I think in those four years and several summers, I think I stayed. Nowadays, the practice is more for churches to put college teams in hotels. It doesn't always happen. Uh, but I stayed, I think one time I figured it up, close between 150 and 200 homes. Whew. Now, I got to tell you, folks, there were some homes where we stayed. I was like, get me out of here. I mean, I literally remember staying in homes. I won't tell you all the conditions, but where we slept on our suit bags and never broke the covers on the bed because we were afraid what we might find under there. Okay. I won't go into any more detail. I do remember one instance, okay, one instance where... The leader of our group, because we'd had such a, an awful experience, the leader of our group went to the pastor before we left, and he said, Pastor, with all due respect, 
I don't know that it would ever be a good idea for guests to the church to stay in that person's home again. Okay. All right. Have you ever had an experience? Maybe you've never had an experience like that. Now, let me ask you this, though. How many of you have stayed where you have been at home? Okay. Think about some of the factors that go into this. Again, this is the exercise of faith. In my mind, as I think through this, I take this illustration and I'm making application by faith to my heart as a dwelling place where I want Jesus to be at home. Okay. When you've stayed at a place where you've felt at home, been at home, you understood it was a place where you were wanted. You ever been somewhere where you could tell you weren't wanted? But when you're a guest in someone's home, okay, you can tell when you're wanted. I think about Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20, the Lord Jesus knocking on the door of the church at Laodicea, saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So being at home means you want Jesus there. You want him to be comfortable. When you have felt at home in someone else's home, there's been a warmth, there's been a welcoming atmosphere I heard someone say about a home one time when they walked into it, they said, when you walk into this home, you just feel like it gives you a hug. You ever been in a house or situation like that? We just are immediately comfortable. It's clean, but not too clean. Now, this is where the illustration breaks down because your heart can't be too clean, okay? All right? I've been in some homes where I was afraid to breathe for fear of defiling the atmosphere. A home that's lived in, okay? But there's a comfortableness to that. A home where you can walk around. Freedom. This statement. Make yourself at home. Now, obviously, if I go to Marco and Elizabeth's house and Marco says, Pastor, make yourself at home, there are limitations to that. But I want you to understand something. When I say to Jesus, I want you to make yourself at home, that means that every room of my heart is accessible to him. No place hidden. That's part of his... Dwelling in my heart, being at home, settling down. And also, whatever is needed. Being at home is the understanding of whatever you need when you're there. The host is going to do everything that they can to make sure all your needs are met. I think the application of this is very evident, isn't it? My heart is the home of Jesus Christ when I trusted Him by faith. But beyond that, as a believer... I want him to be at home in my heart. I don't want there to be attitudes in my heart that make Jesus uncomfortable. I don't want there to be the meditations or the thoughts of sin in my heart that grieve Jesus. And positively speaking, I want the motives and the desire of my heart to be things that make Jesus smile where he can be at home in my heart. And so you and I can have a strong inner man. But part of our responsibility is to make a hospitable home for Christ. As we do business with the Lord, as we read the Scripture on a daily basis, as we pray and the Spirit of God works in our life about the condition of our heart, when no one else is around and our heart is being fully exposed in the presence of God, not what others think, but what Jesus knows. We do business with the Lord so that more and more as I grow as a believer, Jesus is more and more at home in my heart.
And that will strengthen us and contribute to our being strong in the inner man. Fourthly and finally, you and I can have a strong inner man. And I love what Paul does here, and that is this, by a focus on love. The love of God and the love of Christ for me. One of the ways that we can strengthen or have uh, create a, a cooperative relationship where our hearts can be strengthened, our inner man can be strengthened by the Spirit of God is a focus on the love of God. Notice, if you would, the middle of verse 17, that ye being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. I think it's understood here of God's love. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. A focus on love. How many of you have ever heard it said of a young couple? Yeah, they're just going to, you know. I remember when Jenny and I were getting premarital counseling a number of years ago, the man who did it was brutal. And he, sa- he sent us home with a piece of paper, and he said, I want you to write down your budget. Yeah, that's exactly right. We started pinching pennies based on what I thought I was going to be making, what she was going to be making. Both of us were still in school. And I'll never forget, it was discouraging. And we came back, and we sat down, and there was just going to be a bunch of months left at the end of the money on paper. And he looked at us. And almost facetiously said, well, I guess you'll have to trust God. (laughs) Like, easy said, you know. But how many of you ever heard it said of a young couple, well, I guess they're going to live on love. Can I tell you in all seriousness that if you're going to have a strong inner man, we're going to learn to live on love as a believer. To be rooted, it's a term of a gardener rooted deep in a soil when the gardener will dig down to the fertile soil, to the moist soil, so that the roots can penetrate deeply, get this, into the soil of God's love. Rooted, and then Paul uses the word grounded. This is an architectural term or a building term where, and I remember we had to do this back out here because of some weakness in the soil. We had to dig down deeper, and I think about Klein building bridges and having to bore deep down into the riverbed until he gets to rock. Else that bridge is going to come crumbling down at some point. But rooted, dig down into the deep fertile soil of God's love so that the roots can penetrate into the soil of God's love and then dig down deep through all the muck, through all the mire, through all the dirt and make sure that your life is grounded on an understanding of the rock of God's love. Okay. So we're founded on it. I'm going to make a confession here as a teenage boy, and I still, every once in a while, it's not steady diet, but every once in a while, uh, there's an old gospel quartet. Started in 1921, I think out of Memphis, Tennessee, and they're uh, old black men, and their outfit, they wear denim bib overalls with white tuxedo shirts and bow ties and a black suit jacket. And they're called the Fairfield Four. At times they've been a trio, at times they've been a quintet. But one of their signature songs is in their old bass. He gets to sing and I'm going to dig, dig, dig a little deeper. Going to dig a little deeper in the storehouse of his love. 
You know what? It does us good on a regular basis to just dig down deep into the understanding of God's love. Okay? It'll help strengthen us in the inner man. So there's founding on the love of God. But then there's also fellowship about the love of God. Notice what Paul goes on to say. And as we focus on love, we're to consider the fact that we're founded on it, make sure we're rooted and grounded on it so that we can have a strong inner man. Because listen, you remove this focus on love and you begin to undermine spiritual strength in your life. Remember that, okay? It's been a challenge to me, my own life. But notice, being rooted and grounded in love, what's the outcome of that going to be? That you may be able to comprehend. It literally means to seize hold of the idea, to get a grasp of, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height understood of the love of God? And so as we focus on love, Paul brings out this important aspect of fellowshipping with other believers about the love of God. With how many saints? All the saints. Uh, I'm needing to wrap this up. But I just want to say this, okay? I am... I am, okay, based on the historic definition, I am a fundamentalist. Okay, I say that with with no hesitation. Based on the historic definition, not how modern news media and others have shaped it and twisted it and spun it, okay? Based on the historic definition, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe the Bible teaches the doctrine of separation rooted in the holiness of God, okay? I have no question about that, so I'm not in any way diminishing that. But can I say this? This is this. I, I don't want to sound too much of a broad brush here, but I have to say this. Fundamentalists have been notoriously poor at focusing on the love of God. And it's follow-up love for each other. And when I read this statement this week that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, I thought about how God wants to use people who aren't necessarily just like us to teach us about the love of God. Because as I look at the scripture, folks, the better understanding I have of the love of God the stronger my inner man will be. Perfect love casteth out fear. I'm not, I am one. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Here's what I'm saying is in our generation and with this church, we can say, you know what? We're not going to let that be true of us. So fellowshipping about the love, a focus on love, it helps to access the strength of God in the inner man. And then this idea here of fathoming, that we may know, comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. The idea is this, is that it is immeasurable, and Paul will reiterate that in just a moment. 
you and I will spend the rest of our life studying, pursuing, learning about the love of God. And even when we step foot on heaven's shore, we will have just begun to scratch the surface of the love of God for us. He loves me. He loves you. With a love that he'll say in verse number 19, passeth knowledge. It's the idea of surpassing, going far beyond what we even have the ability to comprehend. So that, Paul concludes, verse number 19, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of, the, of God. What did John say twice in 1 John? God is what? Love. God is love. And when I focus on the love of God and I make sure that my heart is a hospitable home for Jesus to be comfortable in, to be at home in, okay? And I take regular account of the resources that are mine. I recognize how loved I am by God. And Jesus, are you at home in my heart? And look at all that are the resources that are available to me. The Lord will strengthen you by these thoughts and these things. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. <laughs> Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God. How rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. 1 John 3 and verse number 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us. And Jude 23, Jude's admonition resonates down, echoes down through two millennium of Christianity. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And that's how you can be strong in your inner man. Father, Help us with this. I pray in Jesus' name.